Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Real Adventures for Club Marine. Get peace of mind with Club Marine Boat Insurance. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures as we chat fishing, boating and the great outdoors. All thanks to our good mates at Club Marine. Good morning, Redmond. Good morning, mate. What's been happening for you this week? Mate, just, you know, second week back into pre-season. Oh, what about during the you... week? The GOAT, Daisy Pearce, announced her retirement in the AFLW, one of the all-time greats. Great person as well. Love days. Nick, you can catch days on. Nick Kyrgios uh, pulls out of the on SEN as well with uh, with Jared throughout the foot, footy season. Oh, he did with meniscus. Kyrgios pulled out yeah, in his own home home ground. Not good. Well, no, you know what? Now I, I actually get it. I know there's been a bit of criticism, but with how much lateral movement tennis requires, I sort of understand it. If you can't play oh, to your a, very best, he's got a crap knee. He's got a crap knee. The poor bloke. He doesn't want it. He does not. He wants to play and show his skill at his home. Stadium, he does. Melbourne, um, Melbourne coming out and showing the best of Melbourne with 37 one day. Oh, I was going to mention that. And, and 18 degrees in rain the next. I don't understand how it's possible. Like, <laughs> it was hotter overnight. It was an uncomfortable sleep. And then it moves into a beautiful 18 degrees and absolutely bucketing down. Not even, not, like, we had the storm, which is normal us, but then just bucketing <laughs> down cold 18 degrees. Uh, but did you see on social media? Yes. Up in Queensland. This is a great one. This now, has gone viral globally. We, it's too good for the gaff. We needed to talk about this. I know. The gaff's good, but this is better. I know. It is. It gets a whole little segment. It's unbelievable. I'm and, all for this. And you and I often talk about how at boat ramps, this should be a reality TV show on some sort of network. While we're on this topic, this happens on the road too. Now, just to give you an example, we won't go, we'll go into what we're going to talk about in a second. I was coming back from Port Ferry, which we are going to talk about also. Everyone's going to be thinking, we, what the heck are they... Just get to the nah, point. What are you good. two talking about? So I was coming back from Port Ferry with the boat and it was stopped in beautiful Colac, sunny Colac. And as we were driving through, we stopped on the playground because Kari needed to breastfeed Mia. First time Colac's been referred to as beautiful. We're going. Well, it's positive on this show today, Patrick. And as we... <laughs> Only joking, as we, my local Colac <laughs> There was people with two heads. As we <laughs> no. pulled up to... Sexy, as we pulled up to... The, the playground, big massive playground in Colac. They've got a designated caravan and trailer park, Patrick. Yes. We're designated. Yes, we're just massive signs that cars say with trailers and or caravans and or boats. So not just park. at boat ramps, which we're about to talk about, but I'm I've gone into park and there was a caravan in front of me and I've pulled up behind it. And because then, you had a boat. I had a boat behind me. Or a trailer. My, yes. And I pulled up. So, and Kari, my partner in her car, pulled up across the road in a car place, in a car spot. So a car park. Yes, a car park. We'll go with that. And as 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 normal people do, they park in the car parks without a trailer. (laughs) Me and myself and my mother-in-law, we watched six cars park in the designated boat spot in Mm. the time frame of walking to the toilet uh, everyone walked to the toilet and back while Kari was feeding Mia and Finn was having a play in the playground and like there was caravans like beeping horns at people like there's signs there 
So yeah. let takes us to the point, Patrick, of where I'm going to let you take <laughs> us through the little story. Yeah, so this has done the rounds uh, significantly throughout uh, the week. It's the best video <laughs> for the month. On, on every single social media channel, pretty much globally, when we talk about fishing, boating, the outdoors, all that sort of thing, a man has been filmed, Aaron. Yes. <laughs> towing... Well, Filmed, and it was just sort of described as road rage at its best, but filmed towing a car uh, by what looks to be sort of the... His the, grill. The, the, <laughs> the hitch points, but a Toyota Camry has parked in front of a car uh, with a trailer and a jet ski. It literally boxed them in. So what said unhappy uh, Bodie slash jet ski driver decided to do was unhitch his jet ski, get out his snatch and strap, and then tow this car a good couple of hundred metres. Well, it could have been further because we couldn't see that far on the camera. <laughs> <But> the video <laughs> it was still going. The video stopped. So dragged the car literally down the block. <laughs> I'm no tyre expert. I don't think it's great for tyres. Well, going by the sound that it was making, <laughs> I don't think it was either. Is that fair play? More than not? fair play. So I think it should be fair play, not even boxing someone in, even parking in a designated trailer spot. And then early gaff goes to my partner, Kari, who went out two weeks before, who I didn't know till afterwards when I took her family out. She parked in a trailer spot. <laughs> I pulled the, I said to her, stay in the boat, guys. It was a hot day. And I said, I'll pull over to where your car is. I'm thinking she's over at the train tracks. And I've gone, that's her car there as I'm driving. So I turn around and I go to where you're parked. <laughs> where people park boats, Kari. And she's like, oh, I didn't realise. I thought because there was two sections to the car park. I'm like, what, you think that a 10-metre park is made for just your car and your and your mum's car? So I'm all for it. Towed my partner's car away and, and get and rid of it. We don't condone on uh, real adventures. Sorry, the network doesn't condone, uh, <laughs> you know, on, I was on about real to say, adventures. Speak for yourself, Patrick. On, on real adventures, anything illegal. However, if you are going to box someone in especially in a uh, boat, ramp. boat ramp orientated park. It's accepted. Bad luck. <laughs> you have to cop it on the chin. Mate. But I, what goes through your head to box someone in? How I would have loved to have seen the reaction as old mate comes back to his car. <laughs> Gladys, I'm sure I parked it here. <laughs> Stereotypic. <laughs> hey, hey, we uh, we were keen to chat. We're, we're chatting with, uh, with Sean Tracy a little later in the show. We are. Sean, he's a professor at uh, the University of Tassie, uh, amongst other things. He's, his bio <laughs> is actually a few paragraphs We long. actually don't have enough time on the show to, but to introduce him. He's a ripper, Sean. They've had a huge involvement in uh, the sustainability around the southern bluefin tuna. So we, we'll be chatting him with him in All Aboard. It's a really interesting chat. But we're keen to chat this morning, Redmond, mm-hmm. around gummy sharks because you had a great, uh, a great outing during the week. Yeah, I headed down to Port Ferry and... For the for last weekend, I should say. So we left on the Friday. So about two and a half, three hours from Melbourne. Yeah, well, it was a good. Yeah, I reckon just no, nah, it broke a bit more. So three for me because Kari's brother and sister came up and they said it was about three and a half, and they left gotcha. from Ascot Vale. So probably a little bit more. So probably about three and a half from so the not, CBD not, south yeah. towards Portland. Yep, yep. Beautiful neck of the woods. A lot of people go down to Port Ferry, and uh, it's a great little coastal town down there. I still think it needs to be knocked down and rebuilt because everything's old. But you know me, Patrick. I don't like old buildings. But it's <laughs> that uh, is true. That can't is true. stand old buildings. Modern, let's modernise it. Is that a word? Let's. It is. It we, is. We headed out. So we. I actually sent a text out to the brother-in-law and said, 
do you want to take the boat out for a spin at Port Ferry? And he said to me, yeah, come on, let's do it, let's do it. And normally I'll with take me... you back there. You, Kari had organised a family well, weekend away and you have decided to bring your boat. Patrick, I'm the first person to have a day off the water. I honestly, I go, I do this for work and I, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't change the job, but it is work. And I was like... I, I sent the text out, yeah, let's do it, we'll take it. And everyone had a great time. We left Port Ferry and it's a great harbour down at Port Ferry. It's very, very safe. Mate, anyone that's married or has a partner, they're not buying this, mate, because any excuse to get away from the in-laws, you take it. You they take the come, boat down. They come with us. <laughs> Patrick. Okay, all right. <laughs> we took the whole family I'll, out. I'll shut up then. Thank you. So you think you don't want to take the boat? And uh, we headed out. A beautiful harbour. Very beautiful. safe. Very safe. Yes. Not many car parks. I think it was about... 12, but there's uh, it's a great facility down there. There's plenty of car parks if you've got a snatch them strap, though. <laughs> I said to Karen when she got there, please tell me you didn't park in a car park, in a boat park. <laughs> and we've gone out, so we were travelling, and I spoke to Lee Rayner, who's a good friend of the show, and I said, Lee, I haven't edge. done a heap of gummy fishing down here. I've done more your Portland where I charter fished and Apollo Bay. I haven't done a heap in Port Ferry. Can you chop me out with an area? Sent me a few marks, and I was travelling out, and then doing what you do, I've got to... Th- as you're driving, you're always watching the sounder. And I've got a through-hull transducer, and we talk quite a bit about this, how your transducer placement is crucial. Critical. And, and how much better a through-hull is than a transom mount. The reason for this is when you're travelling, you can actually get great picture where with through-hull, you have a... Sorry, on, an, on a uh, transom, transom mounted, mount, yeah. you have interference with the engine once you hit a fair bit of speed. You don't actually get a great picture after a certain what, amount of speed. Stabby, honestly, if you're if I'm above... Yeah, you're not Ten much. Ten knots. Yeah, it's just much. rubbish. Yeah, the, I reckon the average would be about 30k, if that. Yeah. Uh, I can go literally, my boat only goes about 75k an hour, and I can go full speed, and I have clear picture of the bottom. And as I was travelling, I zoomed the bottom in and locked it on, on the bottom on my sonar. So I was only looking sort of in the bottom 10 metres. Because if you're in, because we're in 40 metres. If you're in 40 metres, Pat, and you have the whole screen um, on, so you have the screen on, on just full, yep. no zoom. Everything looks the same. The bottom just looks flat. Yep. You don't see any significant bottom changes. You might see the depth change in the screen. It might go 48, 49, 50, but you don't know if you're going up waves. So, so what settings do you need to it's change? Every, I'm running Simrad, so I'm using a 175 high wide, and I'm running it pretty much just on auto, yep. and I'm running the gain pretty much minus two. And then I'm running uh, 82 color. Now you can run manual, and I I will change to manual for suit certain species. But for gummies and the basic fishing, you don't need it at all. Yep. Run auto. It works. That's what it's made to do. Now when I'm travel, when I was traveling, I I just the uh, Harry. Uh, sorry, Ali, whose sister in law, she said to me. They were getting thrown around, so I gave. They didn't actually say anything. I gave them a little break. It was a little bit lumpy. Give them a little bit of a break, and then I started to motor again. And as I took off and got on the plane, I saw this ledge drop down. And we're about six kilometres from the mark that Lee had sent me. And I'm like, oh, stuff that, I'll try this. I went back, marked, so I tapped on my sonar, went back to where the ledge was on my sonar. And that's the great thing with our technology is you can actually press anywhere on the sonar, hit the mark icon on the side of the Simrad, and it will show up on your GPS. Because a lot of the questions that we get sent in around, you know, travelling at 25 knots, how does it know exactly where it lands? Yep. Like it, the, the screen doesn't seem to be moving with how fast the boat's travelling. You touch exactly on that sonar where that reef is and it will mark exactly 
where you need to fish. And that's what we did. We went bang, and I probably had to come back 150 metres because of the speed I was going. I motored back a little bit, but I sounded towards it, and we ended up in 52. And then I found the ledge, and it went up to 48, and then it dropped back down. So I anchored on this ledge where all this life was. We marked up all these Barbara Perch, brass, all the crap you want on the bottom, I'll call it. All the gummies love this stuff. And literally within 10 minutes, we had our first one. We ended up keeping, we ended up keeping eight gummies, which is a, you'll think it's a lot. There was a lot of us on the boat. Uh, and we let go another... Oh, we got 14, so we let go another six. So uh, we kept sort of one one per person sort of thing. Uh, I loaded mum up with some fish, but Harry and Ali, they got look, they don't get to do this very often. Uh, Gaz Rohan just happened to be at the boat ramp uh, that morning. He was down with, in Port Ferry with the missus. So you he, clearly call him in, the poor bugger, to clean your boat every time you... Like, <laughs> what, you reckon he cleans the boat? He plays footy and cleans your boat. That's what I've decided what he does. It'd be nice if he did. Because the boat wouldn't look like it did. And he, uh, so Gary actually jumped on to give me a hand. It was great to have Gary on the boat because I'm a little bit slow with the old ticker at the moment. And just having someone on the boat with a little bit, a little bit of, I guess, an idea what's going on with so many people on the boat. It was really nice. It was, it was, he really helped me out. So thanks, Gaz. And yeah, we were back in by lunch. We fished for three hours. We had a great morning with everyone. So Kari stayed back with Mia and her mum, but the rest came out. And we literally had rods screaming everywhere, a few rats on the bottom, and big sharks, like up to 25 kilo. And yes, we did keep quite a few, which I don't often do. And as you know me, I always release the gummies because I, one's enough for what I need. But these guys don't get to do it much. Gary had all his family down in Port Ferry. He took a couple of sharks back and gave it to his family and friends. And as long as it doesn't go to waste and everyone gets to enjoy it, happy days. But we just found that ledge, marked up the right stuff, and sure enough, a few minutes later... All our rods were screaming off, uh, screaming off really, really good. Which fresh bait is the key there too, Pat. I had the boys yeah. catching, or Harry and Ali actually, to the boys, Harry and Ali catching some rust off the bottom. I took some beautiful Trevallian salmon that I'd caught, I think only a week before up there. And when I say fresh bait, it's not fresh bait, but it's not just pillies and crap like that. It's it's frozen flesh bait that works really, really well. We've got a massive show of real adventures coming your way. Sean Tracy from Tuna Champions joins us to chat bluefin tuna. And after the break, we've got the whip around where we find out what is biting uh, in your neck of the woods and in your backyard. You're listening to Real Adventures for Club Marine. Get peace of mind with Club Marine Boat Insurance. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's now time for the whip around. Thanks to our good mates at Club Marine. Get flexible cover for your jet ski, boat, motor, trailer and gear. All in one policy, clubmarine.com.au. New South Wales, Redmond. I forgot to mention it earlier. Kings are starting all over the country right now. I was going to mention Western Port has really fired up. Gwaine's been smashing them. Yeah, Rain has really been smashing them. So I know ones. it's New South Wales time, but I'm going to go into Kings in oh. New South Wales. I thought it was a little bit relevant there that... Yep. They're starting to turn out Port Phillip Bay heads too. So they're really starting to show up on the Vic Coast as well. New South, out of Sydney, just the normal working headlands. So headlands quite often mean current. Like for example, out the front of your joint, the areas in the lighthouse, you get a lot so of current. So let's go there. through, so headlands as in rocky outcrops. Yep, that stick out. Yep. That's the easiest way to explain it. Yep. They stick out. Now, live baits are the key. Meter fish off all nearly not all the headlands, but a selected headlands out of Sydney that people are finding fish. They're fishing quite well. Get a bit of current there. Live baits, you'll catch fish. Also, Tarthra Jetty, the kings as well. Some massive land based kings always get caught off there. Yep. Some young kids got some absolute crackers during the week, so that's great to see too. Marlin bite, 
going mental right along that coast. Sydney, Jarvis yeah. Bay, all that sort of stuff. So that's going really, really good too, which is starting to push down south. Heading to Queensland? Yeah, lots of school mackerel out of Elliott Heads. And some, we like this, Redmond. Some big flathead in the burner. Yeah, there's a perfect size one. So they're... There are some monsters, but there's a lot of that sort of 55 centimetres. Perfect, yeah. perfect eating ones that yep. you could get a nice feed of those, and they're getting them on plastic as uh, on soft plastics, and just making sure it's a big plastic hitting that ground hard and working working the flats. You'll get, yeah, it's you'll not, get them. but it's not a f- super fast retrieve. So it's land it. It's like that puff of sand, let it drop. Puff of sand. It's not just ripping it in, is it? No, nah, it's working it. It's literally the key word just working what the plastic's designed to do. If yep. it's got a tail, make sure it's dropping down. If it's got a minnow, make sure you're kicking it up and making it flick up. Like you need to have different techniques for different uh, of, guess, of, the, of whatever it is. The yeah, squidgies like, that you buy. Yeah. Heading over to WA, the land base off the beaches. Now, the reason I say Perth, I know it's a big area because no one ever gives away their secret Mulloway spots, Patrick. <laughs> so I apologise. Mulloway. Fishing very well off the beach. And then also as a bycatch, some really good snapper as well. And drone fishing is massive in WA. And that's working. But a lot of guys are promoting not drone fishing, not drone fishing. So there's people actually go against it, saying we're not cheating, we're not drone fishing, we're proper land-based fishing. So it's a little topical, a little bit topical there, Pat. I don't, I don't have a problem. If you want to use a drone, use a drone. It's not land-based though. You're not casting. Yeah, but technology. I'm it's, it's like, do, I do you use a sounder like... when you go out and fish? Yeah. Well, yeah, I do. Yep. That's cheating. It's technology. That's why modern bu- uh, buildings should be knocked down and made modern. Back to Port Ferry. Uh, no, back to South Australia. <laughs> uh, bag limit catches of whiting coming along from Grange. Where I, yeah, well, I, I thought it was... Cut a, cut a, I was cutting my teeth there. I was thinking about a bit of uh, bit of red wine there as I was reading that. I was making no, no, sure no, it was no, no. Right Grange, point. Henley Beach region, so close to the Adelaide CBD. Where, uh, where's Ned McHenry fishing? He's fishing further south at the moment. So yeah. he's fishing sort of Victor Harbour way. Wherever he is, the, follow him because there's tuna everywhere. The beauty of Victor Harbour is you can launch at the launch at the ramp yep. and then within a couple of k's you're into sort of water. Speak about headlands before when you're talking about Sydney. Um, there's some great rocky outcrops there and you're straight into areas where you can catch you know, tuna. You can catch tuna, which is brilliant. But back to the um, whiting around Grange uh and the grain, uh, the uh, Glenelg tire reef fishing well, um, the standout bait has been squid. Tasmania. Yes, yeah, Strawn. We mentioned it with the with the boys last week from Seismic Fishing. They mentioned. Jeez, uh, didn't they get? They were under the fish as well during yeah, the week. School bluefin in great numbers. So up to 35 kilo, really, really, yeah, really like good that. size school fish. 100 metres from the lighthouse down there. Now, I'm not familiar with the lighthouse, but. You won't miss it. It's got a big light. Uh, only 30 metres <laughs> of water. <laughs> and it's on a headland. It's on a headland. So they're in quite close, these fish. And it's to tell you the truth, that 30 metres, what I'm saying, all our fish at home are in, well, not, I shouldn't say all. They're they, not super they're deep, are they? 30 metres. Yeah. 30 yep. metres is where they are, right along the coast, from yep. the shank all the way down. Don't get me wrong, there's schools elsewhere. But very, very common for that 30 metres. I don't, it must be a comfortable depth where, where they just like holding him, especially when they're sunning themselves and being pricks of things, I tell you. You spoke about Western Port and as those really big kings start to get down, you spoke about live bait being the preferred yep. bait. Uh, what are we seeing in Port Phillip? What are your reports? Let's start with squid and calamari. Yeah, so they're, we're going to see the eggs finish up pretty soon. Uh, where That water's getting hot now. Uh, they'll they'll probably get the odd patch here and there, but it's nearly nearly done yep. the, the eggs. So we're going to go more to our traditional squid fishing, so more your wee beds, uh, I guess, your bigger wee beds. 
Uh, you're not going to have him on eggs where you're going to be able to catch 30 in five minutes, 10 minutes, and that's not exaggerating. Uh, it's no, going to be not. more. It's going to be more. <laughs> just going to be more drifting. Uh, make sure your jigs are the right size because you want them sinking through the water column nicely. So just more your traditional squid areas. We're going to move to Western Port Bay. My God, the whiting fishing is. I'm I'm seeing reports of the best it's ever been. Yeah, it's right. out of control. Charters are getting 150 to 200 whiting for their clients a day. It's uh, not a squid day, strips. A what, what are we? Yeah, they'd just be using squid, squid yep. and pippy yep. on top. If you if they're a rich charter boat, pippies are ridiculously expensive, <laughs> expensive now. Oh, you can only get food grade now, and it's gone to a stage where like it's ridiculous. And you can get the WA pilchards, but you got to be uh, sorry, WA uh, pippies, which they do work okay. They do come. They're a bit harder to use, but there's a cheeky pricks out there that somehow managed to get a offshore cockle. And offshore, so it's come from somewhere overseas, and they bag them up in the same bags as the WA pippy, and they look very similar, but they're not it. And you don't want to be putting these pippies into our waterway. Yeah, you right. just don't. You just don't want to be putting them in because not only that, you don't know what they've got bacteria or diseases they've got these pippies. And they so make sure when you do read the bag when you're buying pippies because it's a lot of places won't have your traditional South Australian pippy anymore, your normal looking cockle that people used yep. to see. You very hard to find. You're going to have that black or blacky grey looking shell, they're going to look a lot smaller and they look exactly the same but you need to look out for the WA, Western Australia Pippi needs to be written on the package because you'll get stooged very quickly and they're a horrible Pippi, they're a horrible thing to use. Yep. So mate, so that's the imported one. Yep. Mate, the WA one you'll get away with and they're not as expensive as what the SA food grade cockle Pippi is at the moment. Southern bluefin tuna. We're seeing good reports, yeah. Chris, our good mate, Chris Vasileski from but Gone Fishing. Temperamental Charters. things again. Just yep. like morning bite, like they got them good, but like I'm talking five thirty to seven, then done. Yep. And then they might come back on again. You might get four more, like later, like four hours later. So still not going good. Yep. They're there. They're going okay. Not yep. good. So be active. Have different methods. Find birds. You're in for a hell of a session. Hell of a session. So there's plenty of options around at the moment. Okay. Just before we finish up, uh, skirt size, using deep divers, yeah. just is it a balance? You can use divers. Divers work well. I don't use them. I find they destroy the mouth to fish, and I can't be bothered changing to single hooks. So I just run skirted on teaser bars. Divers yeah. do work. They work a bloody amazing. I should use them, but I don't. Yeah. But teaser bars are what you need to get them. Bungees, plastics, just have everything on offer. And I'm just using the Reef Thief size 4 lures. So they work. They've been working really good for me. So they're four-inch, I should say. It's four-inch lures. That is the whip around. All thanks to Club Marine. Get flexible cover for your jet ski, boat, motor, trailer and gear. All in one policy. Clubmarine.com.au You're listening to Real Adventures for Club Marine. Get peace of mind with Club Marine Boat Insurance. Now time for All Aboard for Club Marine. Get flexible cover for your jet ski, boat, motor, trailer and gear. All in one policy, clubmarine.com.au. Our special guest this morning is Sean Tracy, Head of Fisheries at IMAS. Morning, Sean. Good morning, guys. How are you? Going well, mate. Now, you and I, we first met a few years ago uh, centred around Tuna Champions and, and the work that you do there, can you give us a bit of a, an insight into Tuna Champions and the work that you do uh, at IMAS because it's fascinating and it, and it impacts so many anglers recreationally, whether you realise it or not. Right. So 
Uh, Ina Sawibi is the Chief Marine Antarctic Studies down in uh, Tasmania. So we're basically a marine research institute. So we do work across a whole range of uh, you know, marine and Antarctic things, but my area in particular is looking into fisheries um, and particularly into recreational fisheries. I do a lot of work in that space. So looking at doing surveys to assess sort of catch and effort from the recreational sector, uh, looking at post-release survival of fish that are caught from the rec sector, um, but also understanding, you know, the values, you know, what the rec sector wants out of fisheries. So, you know, what is it that brings them enjoyment? Is it the fact that they can go out and catch a feed or is it that they can go and, you know, experience great fishing with their kids? Um, you know, really interesting stuff. And it, the, the rec sector is so diverse. Um, you know, you've got your freshwater guys, you've got your, your saltwater guys, you've got your inshore guys, your offshore guys. So, um, trying to solve it all is a complex problem, but you know, it keeps my job really interesting. Now, um, my question to you there, Sean, is you're not just, you, you said University of Tasmania, but you're actually around the whole country. A lot of, yeah, the work I do tends to be, yeah, I, I guess I have branched out around, around the country and also around the world as well. I've had the opportunity to go and tag Atlantic bluefin tuna off um, Norway and uh, done work in the Seychelles and in the tropics. So, it's a pretty exciting career path, to be honest with you. And people often ask me, if, you know, if I wasn't doing my job, what would I be doing? And it probably wouldn't be too different, to be honest with you, because I'd get to do a lot of fishing in amazing places. So very lucky from that perspective. When you look at the, the fishery stocks, and, and obviously a, a fair bit of the work that you, you do also centres around, you know, southern bluefin tuna, and it's been fascinating to see the, the improvement, I suppose, in the stocks that we have in Australia. And we'll, we'll go into that. In, in a second but I'm keen to to pick your brain we've seen in South Australia you know a, a really challenging um, you know five years around the snapper fishery we've seen the conversations that are happening at the moment around the research that's gone into uh, some of the fish species and the potential uh, for significant uh, fishing bans and closures over you know a really long term approach to Jewfish, and whether that's you know we've heard reports of up to to nine months. When you look around the country, that obviously just enhances how important it is to have a a sustainable edge to yeah. We want everyone to enjoy their fishing, but we don't want to get to a stage where, like we've seen in South Australia, where such an important fish species that is snapper to the not only the economy but the um, the enjoyment that we all get as wreck anglers that all of a sudden we lose it for five years because at the end of the day, it's been mismanaged. Yeah, look, it's, it's, a, uh, it's, it's you know, obviously a highly controversial topic. Um, we've got similar situations down here in Tasmania as well. Our um, sand flathead stocks, uh, which are our kind of bread and butter fishery that you know, pretty much everyone that's ever picked up a rod and line has probably caught a, rec- a, a sand flathead is now just been... Um, uh, reported as depleted, so we've got we've got the same issues all around the country, um, you know. And getting it right is important. Like no one wants to have their fishing um, time restricted, whether it's the number of fish you can take or you know, just every the snapper, whether you can fish for them at all. But it's really important that we get the stocks right um, yep. and make sure they're sustainable going forward, so you know everyone can get that value out of them. You know, commercial fishing is an important part of what what goes on around Australia, like I think you know, about 20% of Australians recreational fish, but 80% don't. So for them to get seafood, um, you know, they rely on the commercial sector for that. But we also want to make sure that that rec sector are you know, 
getting their value both in terms of whether it's meat yield or that enjoyment. You know, it's, it does so much for well-being, and um, you know, of course, you come through a very stressful three years, and I'm sure you two are, are probably big advocates for this. Getting out for a day on the boat means a lot more than just the fishing; it's spending time with your mates, and we all want to make sure people have that opportunity. But in doing that, sometimes tough calls need to be made. Um, and unfortunately, with fisheries, they're often made probably a bit late, and that's why there's often you know, quite um, strong measures that need to be brought in to bring things back, um, because there's often a lot of political pressure not to make changes. Um, so it's not until you know, there's a real problem that things start to, you know, people start to react a lot more. Ideally, it'd be a bit more you know, front foot, and the decisions would be made earlier, they'd be a bit softer and have a less of an impact. But, you know, um, yeah, we are where we are at the moment, but, you know, there's some really good science that goes on in Australia. Um, and ideally, you know, we'll see those stocks rebuild and be enjoyed into the future. Are you confident with with what sort of set up around the, the funding models from state to state where we're at as a as a national sort of fishing body? Obviously, it's done separately from state to state. But when you do see, particularly for myself, Aaron, like I spent eight years in Adelaide, got to enjoy some great snapper fishing and have so many mates in the industry and then it's such a an integral part that all of a sudden they can't do. But it, I suppose for Aaron and I, we, we don't understand the science or the intricacies around that, as I think most rec- recreational fishers, you know, wouldn't get either that you know sometimes these things are picked up late is, is there things that we can do better going forward do you think or or is it a case we just need more research that goes into it before we start to understand the cycle the reproductive rates and those sorts of things we've got a fairly good handle on things like you know reproductive rates and so on but you've got to keep in mind that it's in the scheme of things fishery science is actually relatively young you know it was sort of the 1950s and 60s the concept was the ocean's that big that you're never going to make a dent and even going back you know 40 um years your orange roughly and a whole range of other things are starting to you know um boom and then and then collapse quite quickly so it's quite a, a young science and the other thing that's challenging is you know, it's not like counting trees in the forest you're counting fish underwater that you can't see so um, you know, you're relying on a lot of uh, methodologies that are now becoming really well developed, um, but it's not it's not as as exact as counting trees. So we can be reasonably confident in what we're seeing, but um, I guess that's where it's, you know, you're not sort of going. Well, there's ten trees left in a, in a paddock. We've got to do something about that and stop cutting trees down. It's like there might be somewhere between ten and fifty. Are we all right, or you know, do we need to wait a little bit longer? So sort of means they're being a little bit more proactive in, in the management to avoid these situations. So, you also talk about, um, just, just quickly around, around the different states, um, recreational fisheries are actually managed at a state level, not a federal level, and that's one of the real challenges. Um, fish obviously don't recognise state borders, so you know, I think you guys are you know, fishing snapper in Port Phillip Bay that probably end up um, migrating over to South Australia, um, but there's different management in both those states. Um, and different research and different funding models, etc. So it is one of the challenges with recreational fishing is you know, how how research is funded consistently and fish are assessed consistently across the states. Something that I think is managed extremely well now, and you've had a, quite a bit to do with this, is the southern bluefin tuna. And we're going to get to talking about tuna champions in a minute. But I just, as an angler, it's been incredible, hasn't yeah, it? Like the last few years, twelve months now. Is it, the, the tuna fishery is twelve months for me now. Uh, in here, and I'm, I'm based in Victoria. 
Uh, I travel a little bit here and there and whatnot, but it's accessible for 12 months of the year. But something that I've been impressed with is the education that's gone through into, I guess, probably being your biggest platform, social media. I'm going to get you to talk a bit about Tuna Champions and what it is, but for what I see as a rec angler, Patrick, and you would too. Rec anglers get it now. Yeah, they just... It's not about take, take, take. Like people, like I catch a lot of tuna and I've let more than I'll probably let 90% of my fish go just because one fish sort of is enough if someone wants to eat it and they want they will require another fish I'll keep it but it's actually not so much me doing what I do because I've always known knock look, knock the fish on the head basically do the tuna champions method ice around preserving cold, look yep. after the yep. fish but people didn't understand the importance of it there used to be barrels coming back on the deck of boats like 120 kilo fish three of them left out all day on the boat but now Nearly everyone has them in bags with, with ice. And that's a credit to you, Sean, and your team and everyone that's involved in the Tunia Champions aspect of it to look after these fish, which you're going to talk about. But it's just gone mental on social media, Pat, of just how many people are actually looking after their catch now. Is that something that you look at and go, we're getting this right, we're getting this education right, Sean? Uh, we spoke with the outcome today, to be honest with you. It was... Um as I said, it wasn't people necessarily trying to do the wrong thing at all. It was just a lack of understanding. Yeah, you know, education. A lot of people didn't. Yeah, a lot of people hadn't had the. It's almost a generation that hadn't had an opportunity to you know, tackle bluefin. There was about a twenty-year period there yeah. where they were, you know, shut down for a long time, and that was due to overfishing. And you know, we talked about fisheries management before being a, a relatively young science. Um, I think the spawning biomass of bluefin got down to somewhere like seven or eight percent. Um, you know, it's a really, really hammered, and that was predominantly a commercial fishing issue. You know, there are migratory species that are across multiple countries are targeting them as they swim past, so they couldn't get a break. Um, there's now a big um, multinational uh, group that get together and do a really thorough assessment of the stocks, and they all work together on the management, and, and now that um, total reproductive output of spawning bonus is back up around 20%. So well, that was going, a rebuild. That was going to be my question because it was all great. All, it was all great as a rec angular going, oh, great, Al McGlashan's documentary come out a few years ago. It was at 6 to 8%. It's come up from this and that. But then all of a sudden, we haven't actually... We don't... As a rec angler, I haven't seen any numbers. And I'll, that was going to be my next next question to you was... Where is the tuna fishery at? Like, where, like all this hard work that we're doing on this catch and release, and I reckon eighty percent of people, Pat, uh, literally catch and release these. Doing days. the right thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of people releasing tuna. Like, there's not probably maybe not eighty percent, but it'd be it's higher than what it used to be. It used to be just kill, kill, kill. Now it's now there's a I'll be well more than fifty percent releasing fish. Uh, so it's great to hear that you're saying it's above twenty percent now, which we are well and truly seeing seeing that twenty percent. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's so yeah. It's it's on the way back up. It's you know the rec sector doesn't really have a massive impact on the sustainability of the bluefin tuna stock. Now that it, it plays a role, but you know relative to the size of the commercial fishery, as I said, around multiple countries, it's relatively small. So so tuna champions is more about you know just looking after um, the fact that we we did lose the opportunity to access these fish for a long time. They're now back. Um, you know, it's a really great opportunity for us to make the most of it and understand what you're dealing with. You know, you've got these, these are large fish. They're not King George Whiting. You know, 10, 10 to 150 kilos is probably what we're dealing with. So if you look after that meat really well, you're going to get that shelf life in the fridge to be able to freeze it down or preserve it and get along. You know, get, use it for six six plus months. 
um, if you don't look after it, you're probably going to get a freezer burnt and um, they have to throw it out. And we just want to avoid that wastage and, and give that information to get the best product if you're going to harvest the fish. But likewise, if you're going to release it, as you said, Aaron, that's definitely increasing. People are going, I don't need six yeah. 20 kilo tuna. Yep. Um, so people are releasing, he's making sure you're giving that fish the best chance of surviving when it goes back in the water despite another day. So we're all doing our part. And the methods um, that go to that are things like uh, soft nets, uh, mats, handling the fish with your, I guess, wet hands. Just Hook doing, choices. Yeah, hook choices, just doing the basic things like not not fighting the fish for as long as possible where if you are fighting that fish maybe for longer say for example if you if you've got a 30 wide out the back and you catch a 30 kilo fish you're probably best off keeping it on a 30 wide rather than because you'll get the fish in a few minutes rather than a spin gear for gear for instance sometimes you need that light gear to get the bite but if you're going to fight it for if you sorry the other way around if you're going to fight it for say 30 or 40 minutes that's when the fish starts to cook inside isn't it sean uh, well, it, it depends on a whole range of things. You know, obviously, if you're catching one off Victoria in 16 to 18 degree water, yep. it's quite different than if you're catching you know, one off New South Wales in 22, 23 degree water. But, but yeah, spot on. You know, the longer you fight a fish, obviously, the more lactic acid yep. it builds up. Um, that affects the muscle tissue. It's going to make it harder for that fish to recover. You know, if you're fishing around any predators, like you know, if you're fishing around bait balls and there'll be bronzies or depending on what state you're in, seals. Um, you know, the fish's ability to swim off and react away from that predator are reduced. So a lot of it's common sense, um, but a lot of it's also just things we go, oh, I didn't really think of that. That's a really yeah. good point. Now, one of the one of the classic ones we've had is um, brain spiking versus bleeding. Like, you know, which do you do first? And a lot of people go, oh, well, if you, if you brain spike it first, it won't bleed out because it needs its brain to bleed. And it's like, well, no, actually, the heart's an involuntary yeah, muscle. It will goes. keep pumping for a couple of minutes after the fish is brain dead. So you're actually dead brain spiking first, one, for the animal welfare, like so doing the right thing by the animal, but two, it stops all the muscles twitching, which is keeping firing and um, heating up all the muscle fibres. So you're actually better to spike first and then bleed. A lot of people just went, oh, I never realised that. And we actually were talking to TK Offshore, who's one of our Junior Champions ambassadors, um, uh, who's a commercial fisherman, uh, and he was unaware of that. And he started doing that on his boat as well. So, you know, um, not only are we learning a lot from the commercial guys about how they treat fish and how we should do it, but we're also teaching them as well. So, yeah, it's been really, really successful. Um, and, you know, we've seen some really good behavioural change. And as you said, uh, you know, um, from a science perspective, it's called social sanctioning, where, you know, mates are starting to pull up mates on social media and go, oh, why didn't you take ice or, you know, look after your fish. Mm. So if people are starting to pick that message up, we've done our job well to put it out there. Yeah, so ideally, it's something that the sector takes up themselves, much like marlin fishing on the East Coast. You know, that used to, a lot of people used to hang them up, and now it's much rarer for marlin to be hung up. Um, you know, I think 95% are released now. So, Yep, and I reckon tuna heading that way, especially the big girls. Sean, it's been a, uh, a pleasure having you on Real Adventures this morning to talk uh not only fishing in general and the industry itself, but tuna champions respecting your catch and how to prepare it. Uh, and if you want information uh, or more information, you can obviously head to the tuna champions website, tunachampions.com.au. But life on the line uh, is the doco that Aaron was talking about before. It's an absolute ripper. And obviously, Sean, you had a, a huge hand in that as well. Thanks for your time this morning on Real Adventures. No worries, guys. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Sean Tracy, Head of Fisheries at IMAS, all for Club Marine. 
You're listening to Real Adventures for Club Marine. Get peace of mind with Club Marine Boat Insurance. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's now time for Red's Tip. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on this? Have oh, a, have okay. a, um, I got it up. My shoes. You like them? Oh, Crocs. Do you like them? No, I don't like they're, they're, I actually don't know why I wore them today. Is there any arch support in them? I'm a there is. This is why I bought them. Really? They've got a full sole in them. Have a look. Oh, they do. So, And they're soft as anything. Now, I have shocking feet. So do I. I cannot shocking. wear anything. And I messaged you ages ago. What? Remember I said to you, I'm trying to find shoes. We're talking about something. Else. I'm wow. trying to find shoes that help with my feet. Yes. Anyone that's over 25... <laughs> Seriously, you get to 25 and you go, I need something that's good for my feet. You can, yeah, you mature. You can sack these you... piece of crap thongs. Yep. Because... Well, that's what I was wearing. <laughs> I was just wearing thongs, have yarners. And one day on the boat, that night, I can't even do the dishes at home because I can't stand up. Like, literally, I'm not exaggerating. My feet suck. So what I did was, I did a lot of research online and I'm like, and everyone said Crocs. And a good mate of mine, Robbie, you got a picture of Robbie here. I can't even explain it to him. But Robbie, get some Crocs ass. I'm telling you, they're good. I ignored <laughs> Robbie. Years he told me. I went to BCF. I think they cost me about 60 or 80 bucks. And I got myself some Crocs. And it was the best thing I have ever done on the boat. Look at them. They've got drainage oh, holes, Patrick. I didn't think we would get to a stage <laughs> where we're on our show <laughs> where we are uh, endorsing Crocs. But here we Look are. Look at the drainage yeah, holes. I'm with you. I'm so with you. wear them on the boat during the summer. Because, you know, the, the Bogs gumboots are fantastic. But I, get, I don't want shoes on in summer. I just don't. These have great soles on them. They're super soft and comfy. They've got holes in them to, like... Bloody bungholes everywhere, and they water flushes through them so nicely, and they also protect your feet. Look at that. They all protected your toes. It's, a bloody, it's an un- unbelievable review. Thank you. A tip. A tip. So get yourself a pair of Crocs if you're going out in the water, because they, they just work. I'm copping a bit of shit for it, but they're well and truly worth it. <laughs> Time for the flying gaff, and the gaff this week goes to two absolute dickheads on jet skis. And unfortunately, jet skiers... Um, it's generalisation, but there's a lot of dickheads. There's actually jet skis. for some reason you have to have a dickhead license to be able to get one. Like it, I don't, under, I want to buy one of these. I'm too scared because naturally I'm going to be called an idiot. Well, and the reason is pretty simple because people have been filmed chasing dolphins uh, in a jet ski, and it's one of the dumbest three, things that it's I think 300 I've ever meters. seen. It's 300 meters on a PWC that you have to be from a dolphin. So I think boats 100. Yep. But don't get me wrong. We all love dolphins coming to the boat and swimming with us. But I don't don't go chasing them. No, nah. like, it's just it is absolutely ridiculous. The thing is behavior. with a boat and whatnot. The reason that it's one hundred and three hundred is the jet skis are that fast and move that quick that you could literally hit a dolphin. Not only hurt yourself but kill the dolphin as well. Correct. So just be just don't do it. Yeah, the gaff. If heading. they come, if they come to you, just cruise slowly and let them jump with you and enjoy it. It's not illegal. Keep your distance from them. Try and avoid them if possible. But if they come to you, enjoy it. But stay away otherwise. You're not allowed. Hope you've enjoyed this the show this morning. Uh, this has been Real Adventures. We'll catch you on the water next week and talk more fishing, boating and the great outdoors.